0: Excellence Expected, the inspirational business
1: advice podcast.
0: Hey, hey, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. Now, first of all, I apologize. It's England that I live in. And it's cold and I've picked up a bug from the little nephew. So I've got a bit of a frog in the throat today. So thanks for persisting with me throughout this episode. And as ever, thank you for joining me for 30 minutes of your day. Now then, we are in a world where acquisition of businesses, particularly tech startups, is so, so prevalent. We see all of these businesses, these tech startups, the WhatsApps of the world, the Instagrams of the world, being acquired for crazy sums of money. But actually selling a business is not reserved just for the sexy businesses. How can you prepare your business for sale? What are the secrets that you need to know to make the most money from that acquisition? That is the issue that we're going to define, challenge and conquer today. It's a really, really interesting one. and I'm really curious about it myself. And Joining me today is someone who is a real expert in this field, someone who actually bought his first business when he was only 19 years old, and then actually went on to grow that business and sell it. So we have a real expert in the house today. So it gives me great, great pleasure to welcome to Excellence Expected, Mr. Ace Chapman. How are you doing, sir?
1: It is great to be here with you, Mark. I'm I'm excited. This is something that I, I don't get to talk as much about. A lot of times people want to know about buying businesses and talk a lot about that, but it, it, when you're doing deals like I've done for the last 16 years, a big part of that is the sales side. It's, and it's something that a lot of business owners don't prepare for. So I'm excited to, to dig in a little deep and hopefully have your listeners leave with some valuable nuggets.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm sure it'll be packed full of them. So now let's roll back the clock. Actually, let's go back 15, 16 years. When you bought that first business, what was that like? Tell us a story of that. Let's just kind of put this into context, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, I was a political science uh, major. I had no big plans of becoming some uh, 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 entrepreneur, business owner, and certainly not somebody who ended up buying and selling sixty businesses. Uh, it, it was it was kind of happenstance. So I was a customer of. The business. It was an online stock market simulator. So I was a user and a member and I was just frustrated with the potential that the business had. And the fact that at the end of the day, the owners were running it poorly. And so at the, I, I ended up uh, reaching out to them, really to become an intern. You know, I was like, uh, summer's coming up. I'm a sophomore in college. This will look good on my resume and I can help these guys because they obviously need some help. Well, a long time went by. They didn't return return my email. Uh, But eventually they wrote back and they said, we're not really paying attention to this project. It is making money. It's making $60,000 a year. Uh, Would you want to buy it? Because we've moved on to something bigger and better. And so, you know, it if if they only wanted to sell it for $70,000, which was an amazing deal which I didn't even realize it at that point. All I knew was I was a broke college kid with $3,000. They wanted 70,000. Might as well have been a million, you know. But I really wanted this thing and so that was the beginning of my career in kind of this micro private equity or micro LBO, uh short for leveraged buyout world of, of figuring out how to do these little deals grow them and eventually sell them.
0: That's a really interesting story. I love the, the notion of this may as well be a million pounds because, you know, we, I don't have 70,000. Uh, it could be anything really. So that, that I think is really, really interesting. And You mentioned there that, you know, you didn't quite realize how good a deal that was at the time. So let's just, again, kind of frame that one. Typically, what would you have expected to pay for something that was, that was doing that kind of revenue?
1: So most of the time in this world, you're paying uh, on the low end two times net income, on the higher end three to four times net income. So that deal on the, I mean, it would have been a really amazing deal at 150000 would have been an okay deal at 250000 But the great thing is it gave me the strength to negotiate because uh, of those two factors. One, it might as well have been a million dollars. And two, I had no idea how good a deal it was. So one of my first steps was to go back to them and say, hey, I know you want 70000 What if you finance half of it over a certain period of time? And I see that even today with my clients that I help buy businesses where it's sometimes just being bold and asking for the outrageous can get it done. I mean, there's many times when I tell a client like, yeah, we can ask for that, but that's not very likely to happen. They come back and say, they accepted it. We got a deal. So that, that naivety definitely played in my favor on that first deal.
0: And I bet that kind of set the tone. You mentioned there, you know, we can go back and we can ask for the outrageous. I bet that kind of set the tone for your career then insofar as that you weren't you weren't afraid to ask, you know, I, I assume that you were just like, well, look, we're going to try for this. Is that, is that a fair reflection? Have you always had that kind of attitude towards it?
1: Yeah, and I think you have to put yourself in that position on the Buy end. I'm always kind of pulling, pulling clients back and saying, you know, you never want to be the person that's desperate to buy a deal or ever feel like, oh, I gotta buy this. And on the the sell side, you never want to feel like you gotta sell. I mean, there have been several occasions where I've walked away from deals as a seller and said, hey, here's my bottom line. They come back, still try to negotiate. It's like, all right, I'm cutting off negotiations. Only thing I want to hear from you is you're accepting my terms at my price. Otherwise, there's no reason for us to talk anymore because I'm not negotiating any further. And had those people come and uh, eventually accept what what, and in in both those cases, you have to put yourself in a position where you're okay for that with that. So I always start to sell my businesses way before I need to sell, which is the opposite of what most uh, sellers do. And I never put myself in a position where I feel like I need to buy a business.
0: That's a great point. You mentioned you, you, you sell the businesses before you need to sell. And I'm curious to dig into what feels like a really rudimentary question, but I'm sure it's not. What are some of the reasons that people actually want to sell a business? What, what actually comes across your table? Why, what are some of these, these factors that affect this sale? Why do we want to do this?
1: So there, there are three levels of sellers. You know, uh, the, the great majority fall in the middle. And they're people that have been in the business for a while. They're bored. They may have thought of a new idea they really want to go after. They may have come across a new opportunity that that they, they need the time or the cash from that first business to take advantage of. Um, other things are just random things like I'm moving to another city or I'd like to move to another city. Um, and so I want to sell this business here. And so you have those kinds of things. And I put them kind of in the middle. Then you have the people that are at the uh, one extreme that absolutely need to sell, you know, it's the person that doesn't just want to move, but their spouse has been relocated. That income is necessary for the household. They need to sell that business and, and move over or the person that has sick parents and have to move because of that. Or they themselves have health problems and and need to sell the business. And we do get a lot of deals because of divorce and and death. I mean, you know, owners eventually die and and people have to sell. And so those are the things where they really are motivated to sell. And unfortunately there are a lot of people that Just wait until the, you know, the catastrophic happens in order to sell their business. And then you have the people at the opposite extreme, which we don't really pay any attention to or waste much time on. It's the people like, oh, you know, if I could get this outrageous number and amount of cash for my business, then I'd definitely love to sell it. And so you don't want to waste a bunch of time on them. They're they're not so much interested in selling as they are just getting some uh, outrageous price for their business.
0: When you think about the kind of people that you work with then, you know, when the, the, the people come across your threshold and they want to look at selling that business, what are some of the first things that you look at to figure out whether this business is in shape to be sold? What, I guess what are some of the symptoms of, of it not being ready to be sold?
1: So some of the symptoms for, for not being ready to sold, sell is when the owner is the business. <laughs> it's very tough to sell a job. There aren't a lot of people out there that are looking to, to buy a job unless they're going to get it at a huge discount. So one of the, the typical things that we see is a lot of times the owner can have employees. They can have people in place. They may have a couple things figured out and the business could be making really great money. But the bottom line is you remove that seller from the business and and the money starts to go down immediately. It may even limp along for a few months, but eventually that that uh, ends up going down. So the one of the first things is having employees in place that are going to be able to run the business. And the other big factor is not having systems in place. Uh, that tell those employees how to run the business. So when you have uh, a, a business and, and everything is in your head, there's not a, a, you know a lot of information that somebody can go to and just follow step by step. Uh, that decreases the value of the business. So we love to see uh, kind of operational procedures and and that kind of thing that are outlined specifically
0: that's a really interesting point we had a great chat with Ben Bowman on one of the earlier sessions about systems and processes and he echoed that sentiment and the thing that really struck me about that entire conversation and, and everything that you've just said there is is that as business owners particularly the business owner themselves you know we often we often take for granted number 1 what we know and how reliant the business is on us and number 2 we very often leave in our heads what we've always done and we don't create these systems because we've kind of grown by accident or, you know, you you kind of gain employees as you go along and you just never stop to think, yeah, I should probably get all this down. And is is that more common than you would think? Is that quite a common thing? (laughs)
1: Yes. I mean, most businesses that are under $2 million are really running by the seat of their pants. (laughs) So it's every day they're waking up, they're figuring out what's going to what's going to happen that day. And it's working and it's making money, but it doesn't become a real asset. And that's what we're talking about. You know, people think that a business is something that makes money, but you can have a lot of things that make money. You can go and get a job and and make money. You can sell your car and make money. A business becomes a, a actual sellable asset when it's a money making machine, and so the machine has to operate in and of itself. And so part of that is uh, having the people in place, and then uh, having that that operational. Uh, procedure that breaks down all the different aspects of the business. So what we do when, when when I buy a business, one of the things that I immediately start to do is see how they're doing things right now, make sure that that's the most efficient uh, and the best cost effective and the best way to to, to have things work. If it is, we document that process and then we put it together uh, with all the other uh, processes. And and here's what you can can take away from that is once you want to sell that business, you're going to be sitting across the table from a potential buyer and that buyer is going to have a ton of concerns. And legitimately so, you know, am I going to be able to run this business? And they're going to have a lot of things in their head. But when you can get them to talk about those concerns and then show them exactly uh, how you would take advantage, how you would uh, basically uh, work that situation, that can alleviate a lot of concerns. So you ask the potential buyer, you know, tell me what your your biggest concern is. And they say, you know, my, my biggest concern is that this manager is going to leave. I mean, I don't know if your manager leaves. I won't know what to do. I don't know how to do their job. And, you know, I don't know where I'm going to go find somebody else to, to uh, take their place and how I'm going to train them and, and all these things. And then you, pu- you pull out your big book of systems and you say, well, that's a great concern. I definitely understand that. Let's go to the employee section E and you know, here's the where we talk about the managers. So here's what the manager is making. Here's all their information. If they leave, here's where you're going to advertise to find uh, somebody else. Here's exactly what you're going to put in that ad when you advertise to get that person in. Here's everything they, all the qualifications, all the questions. Here's the, here are the two people that are going to take their place during the interim until you find that new person. And then we go to T for training and we go into all the training that, that they're gonna need to do from other employees, from you in order to be just as good as the person uh, you, you have right now. And you do that for everything. It's like, well, what about the marketing? I'm worried about being able to do the marketing or continue it. And it's like, well, you know, we've got everything we're doing right now, and that's broken down. We've got everything we've tried in the past and what worked and what didn't. So you don't have to go out and even try, test those things, or you can feel free to with this knowledge and be at a greater advantage. All this stuff is such a huge value. You know, we every day that we're in a business we're creating value and throwing it out the window. And then we go back and do it again the next day.
0: I love the idea of the manual, you know, been literally been able to go down and pick from a list of things that you need to achieve and been able to run anyone at any point through that. I think that's so, so important. And when you think about, you know, the type different types of businesses, you know, broadly speaking, let's break it down into product-based businesses and service-based businesses. How do you, as someone looking to buy a business, how do you look at the sustainability of that business in terms of the market? I'm thinking specifically for service-led businesses who maybe rely on a client book and, you know, ongoing contracts and so on and so forth. What are some of the things that you guys look for when it comes to buying one of those types of businesses?
1: You know, uh, uh, we actually like for services, service-based businesses to be as productized as possible. Um, so either we're going to come in and productize it, which means we 're probably going to discount the service business quite a bit um, but we, we'd like for it to for the the people buying that, and a lot of times it's just the communication that you have with the uh, with the bot with the customers and clients and buyers of the service so that they see it as a product. The biggest problem with service based businesses and and the ones that we stay away from. Is when there's too much of a relationship, uh, and the whole business is based on the relationship that an individual has with their with their clients, um, and you know, at the end of the day, that's what we're trained to do. So when you're a startup. That's how you get your clients in. You know, you go out, you build that relationship. They love you. You love them. They, you, you get their product. You bend over backwards to make them happy on and on and on. And so there's this deep relationship. A lot of buyers get into trouble because they see like, oh, this is a really great business of making money. But they don't recognize that, they're that um, uh, th- those clients, that customer base isn't doing business with a business. They're doing business with the owners. And so as soon as that owner leaves, there's a lot, lot less loyalty than say, you know, I I recently bought a uh, teeth whitening, uh, a a teeth whitening product business. You know, the people that are buying that have no idea that the ownership has changed. You know, they're ordering the products. Some of them are on uh, continuity. That's going to continue to come. There's no difference uh, so when you get into these service-based businesses, you have to understand that ownership change risk and what that kind of presents uh, as a, a a potential problem that needs to be managed by the potential buyer.
0: And sort of flip that round on its head then, Ace, if you are a seller of a business or if you're readying yourself for a sale and you are in a service-based business or if you're in a business that relies on on that personality and that that reliance on you, can you actually manage that? Can you work with the customers and say, well, listen, here's what might happen? How, how do you kind of manage that? Is that possible without, frankly, annoying customers? How do you go about that?
1: Yeah, and the, the real key there is um, you, you just, because you are a part of the business, you have to understand that part of what you're selling is you when you sell that business. So there's going to be a lot longer transition period where, you know, in addition to just going to them and saying, hey, this is going on, we're about to sell the business and, and um, uh, you know, there'll be some other people over time, you also are going to really need to, to work with that uh, buyer, if they're an educated buyer, over a longer period of time. And a lot of times the deal is going to be structured so that you both are uh, kind of mutually benefiting over the longer period. So, you know, you you may say you may be able to go out and sell a business like that immediately and walk away at a one multiple or, you know, it's making two hundred thousand. You sell it for two hundred thousand. They're going to take a lot of the risk. Some people, some customers may lose, some may leave. They'll they'll figure that out on their own. But you could go out and sell it for two, three times, four hundred, six hundred thousand. If you take, you know, maybe the 200 up front and say, I'm gonna continue to work with you. I'm gonna make sure that clients stay on. Uh, you know, I'll, I'm not gonna work every day full time, but you know, I'll spend an hour a day. You know, if you have anything with a client, I'm gonna come and get involved and make sure that they don't leave and have that transition period. So we've seen that happen even with major blogs. I mean, we're not even talking about a service-based business. We've seen, we've done deals like that on blogs where it's based around a personality and that person needs to still be involved for a while till people get used to the fact that they're gonna be these other writers and start to build relationships with them. And, and that's just one of the downsides to building a business around your person. Now, the other side of that is you just start doing that as soon as you realize it. You know, you build up your uh your direct connection to the kinds of site visitors or whoever, and then as soon as you, you hit that critical mass, you start to do that work on your own to build more of a, a business asset.
0: I see that quite a lot in, in certainly smaller businesses that suddenly find success insofar as, you know, maybe they've created a product that's just gone crazy in a particular market or, you know, they're, they're a business that has just found success in a very very particular niche in that the owner sometimes forgets that, they can't always be on as well. You know, they, they, they find themselves just doing what they were doing when they started up, even though the business has scaled. And that it not only becomes dangerous for a buyer, but it just becomes dangerous for the business overall because the reliance just mounts up and up and up and up and up. And one thing that I'm very curious about, which is, I guess, from a buyer's perspective, but also from a, a, the reassurance from a seller's perspective, how do you as the new buyer, how do you get that buy-in or how do you work with the seller to get that buy-in from the staff? I imagine that can be a bit of a challenge
1: sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I was, was just on a call this morning with a client. He's buying a manufacturing business down in uh, Tampa. And we we're talking about that that process. Um, w- there are a few things that you want to do. Number one is that transition, just like with with the um, clients or or customers and and that kind of thing, that you want to treat that transition even more delicately when you're dealing with the employees. So it's almost like the change of the guard, you know, like they're the owners giving their blessing. Uh, And then at the same time, you want to get them even more excited about the future. You know, not uh, one of the biggest concerns that uh, employees are going to have is that, you know, things are going to change and and that it's going to be a negative thing. But if you can get you can listen to them first and see what kind of improvements and ideas that they have. Uh, and then come back and say, hey, we are going to start implementing them. This is what that's going to look like and, and that kind of thing. And then here's some some of my ideas as well. It's not like coming in like this is a dictatorship and you're about to start making all these changes. One of the things that's tough for buyers to get their head around is that, you know, in, in this case, in this manufacturing business, literally there are people that have been there 25 years. Uh, the buyer of that business is 27 years old. <laughs> so two things that you have to keep in mind there. Number one is they feel like they have a lot of ownership. So, you know, they feel like it's their business. So when you come in and start trying to do things and and you're brand new, that can be an issue. And then obviously in that case, you also have the age thing and, and that kind of thing. And you're you're just new to the whole industry. So. You want to listen and learn and take heed in in with their ideas and and just tread lightly and show them that you're there to build a relationship. And I like to give that six months. You know, one of the things that uh, you want to plan for is not going in like you don't want to buy a business that you feel like, okay, I got to make all these changes in the first two months what you're, what you really want to be able to do is is wait six months, you know, get your hands and head around the whole business and and build those relationships as well.
0: That's really great advice. Not diving in there and not, you know, not treating this. I don't think any of us would treat it as a dictatorship anyway, but you know, maybe by accident, by mistake or, you know, by proxy of another action or set of actions, you know, making people feel like it's a dictatorship. I think that's really, really great advice. Really good advice.
1: Yeah. It's most of the time it's not the, the, we don't go in feeling that way, but it's natural just to feel like, Hey, I, I paid my money for this business. This is my business. But yeah, you, you got to kind of still tread lightly.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's, it's very easy to come in and want to just want to do something just to kind of put your mark on it. But the idea of mm-hmm. waiting six months, I think is, is superb advice. It's what we're about to do now, sir, is switch gear. Now for those people listening who are perhaps thinking about I don't know, selling their business in the future or even considering this, we are here to dispel the myths and help people with the secrets to preparing that business for sale. And we're going to do that by the famous actionable tips section of the show. So I know you've put together three actionable tips for the guys listening. So let's dig in to actionable tip number one, please.
1: Excellent. Number one is what we discussed. It's it's working yourself out of the business. How can you start to put people in place uh, that can do those repetitive tasks? Uh, even if it's just a small thing, you know, hire and even a virtual assistant. The people are so hesitant to do that. And despite the fact that over and over it's been said that, you know, it it changes the the business and improves things. And, you know, with with virtual assistants, you don't really have a long-term commitment. You can go in and try it. So you just might as well. So start to put other people in place and get those repetitive tasks away from you.
0: Love that. That is so very, very important. I've, I've been doing, not for the reason of wanting to sell the business, but from the perspective of just being able to focus on higher level strategy been doing the very same thing for the last year in my businesses and it's it's liberating to be able to do it and actually the, the the even if you're not looking to sell the power it gives you to be able to grow is just insane so I love that I think that's fantastic okay sir. let's dig into the second actionable tip please
1: the next thing is operational man- manuals That's something that is, it's a lot easier to get done over the long haul and start to improve and make it really meaty and fat so that one day when you do sell the business, that becomes a a huge resource. I mean, it's almost like we all know when people buy franchises that they can be really expensive. Well, guess why? The main thing that those people are buying is an operations manual that tells them all the different things to do in their business and they get the training and and all that stuff. So just having that allows you to sell at a huge premium. And the other thing that it does is even if you have no plans of selling anytime soon, it, it brings to light issues in your business that when everything is in your head, you just can't see.
0: Love that. Absolutely fantastic. Super stuff. You are full of quotables and we're going to, we're going to have show notes that are just full of quotes. So we're going to keep that flying. Love it. Super. <laughs> right. Let's dig into the third and final actionable tip.
1: So the other one of the things that people do when they're selling their business is they kind of start to get tired of it and they don't want to make a ton of effort. And so they go a few months, they're kind of debating about whether they're going to sell or not. And, and you know, the, the business peters along and they realize they do want to sell and then they kind of check out. And so one of the one of the things that I encourage business sellers to do is to make sure they end things on a up note. And the exciting thing is when you do that it sets you apart from most business sellers because most of the business sellers are going to end up in that other column where they once they kind of realize, "Hey, I may want to sell this thing. They check out or they're on to the next project or they're excited about that next thing." So if you can have some things in your back pocket that you know are going to have a big impact on the business, that creates a lot of value. The mistake that business owners make is Trying to tell the potential buyer that they've got all this potential value and it's just cooped up, and somebody just has to come and take advantage of it. You know, it's like, oh, well, we could be advertising this way, or, you know, we have this access to this over here, and that would make us so much more money, and we could introduce this new product line. But it's way more powerful when you do all three of those things and you can say, look at the business, it's on this huge uptrend. We've implemented these things, you know, we're, we're, and that's why we're. Asking for this premium of a price because this is a growing business with a lot of potential uh, that you're going to be able to take it come in and take advantage of.
0: I think that's pretty much a roadmap for getting started. It's certainly given me a heck of a lot of food for thought. That is, I think that's, that's been such an insightful, insightful chat. And what baffles me is that we've talked for 30 minutes and it feels like we've just got started, so we, <laughs> must, uh, we must do a follow up on this. I'm really keen actually to look at something from the other side so maybe we get back together and do a bit of a buyer's episode as well i think that'd be really interesting
1: would love to do it
0: sounds awesome so well thank you so much this has been such a great chat and guys for you listening out there if you're even considering in the future any kind of sale of your business take heed of these three tips listen back to that episode you'll get so much value from it and before we wrap up is where can people find you online please sir
1: uh, people can visit acechapman.com. Uh, we've got a blog there and a little bit more information about what we do. Uh, I am on social media. You can find me on Twitter at acechapman. And I'm also on Instagram. And if you have questions, you can feel free to shoot me an email. You can shoot it to ace at acechapman.com. And I can't forget, cause a lot of times I do, I do have a book on, uh, Amazon. It's the ACE formula gives you a lot of the basic concepts around going out and doing these deals. Uh, and that's on, that's on Amazon.
0: Excellent stuff. Super stuff. We will put everything in the show notes. So do not worry if you've missed any of those links, everything will be at excellence-expected.com. Ace, thank you so much, sir. That's been such a good chat. Excellent. Love it. Right guys. Until next time, don't forget that anything you need is excellence-expected.com. There are a pile of free small business resources there, including everything that Ace has just mentioned, and of course, resources from all of the past guests. We've got a beauty, a beauty of a show coming up for you right through 2016. So don't forget, if you want to help the show, just do one thing for me: please, 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 just tell a friend. And until next time, guys, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Adios.